Hey all, this recording is from a panel I moderated at the Oslo Freedom Forum back in May. The panel was about the work of Barrio Chao, a Chinese dissident artist who has used NFTs in his artwork. You absolutely must listen to this discussion. Barrio Chao is one of the most interesting and creative people I've ever interviewed, and the story of how he became the artist he is today is riveting. I think you'll also love the twists and turns in his journey to using NFTs and learn a lot from the challenges he and Nikki Selkin, the director of creative development at Gray Area, with whom he worked on his NFT projects, faced. One other note, due to the upcoming holiday and the fact that after four months, I think my book tour and catching COVID and everything else uh, that I've been doing in the whirlwind ever since I released my book has all finally caught up to me. So there will be no weekly news recap today. Other than that, happy 4th of July, everyone. And now onto the show. Hey, builders, looking for one of the best scaling solutions in crypto? That's easy. Avalanche's breakthrough subnet design lets you minimize transaction costs and maximize your speed, consistency, and user experience. To experience Web3 like never before, head to avox.network to learn more. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Thanks so much for coming. So I had actually never heard of Buddy Itzau before being asked to do this panel, but I have to say I was really taken by um, the kind of life story that brought him to his distant art, um, especially for me as an American. I remember as a teenager watching what happened on the screen, on you know the TV in my living room, or maybe it was my bedroom at that time. Um, you know, what was happening in Tiananmen Square in 1989. And his experience of that, even though he was living in China, was completely different. So can you just explain that story and how that kind of set you off on this path to becoming an artist? Um, well, that's exactly why, you know, I want to enter in different community, including the uh, community of crypto brothers and sisters. I feel like now we are really living in our own grids, like... I can have a great followers and a reputation from the uh, dissident community, the new circles, the China-related uh, circles. But maybe I'll be a complete strangers to the people who are into the cryptocurrency or NFT unless I bring my art to the community to introduce myself. Well, the very reason for me to pay attention to NFT or the blockchain is because the very censorship that is happening in China. I grew up in China. When the Tiananmen massacre happened in 1989, I was only three years old. So for me, I wouldn't have a real memory if 
no one from my life, like teachers, doctors, um, parents, schools, TV, publication, mentioned that. And that is the reality in China. So up until university time, I never have any idea that what happened in 1989 during the movement and the massacre in the end. I only know the event because I accidentally downloaded, pirated the film from internet, and then someone inserted a documentary about the Tiananmen massacre into that pirated file of film, and that's how I know it. And when I know it, I was only, I was, I, I was already like 22. So in 22 years. Nobody mentioned it, and and when I'm watching those students marching on the street, protesting, eventually gunned down, crushed by tanks by the Chinese government, I'm really shocked. Because I'm also in the university time, and like those young kids being killed by the government. However, in this gap, nobody fill this black hole for me. Nobody tells me what happened, and if not. For some genius doing their own things in the pirating film industry, I would never know it.、Um, you know, it's really shocking and make me angry that how the Chinese government can easily erase memory like that and just steal away from the people, so that in the future we cannot reflect on that. So in the future, we'll remain in the darkness. Yeah, and actually, one comment I want to make on that is people know that HRF is really known for using technology in its work, and、uh, you may know that they have worked with sending flash drives into North Korea in this very same subversive way. So I actually find it so fascinating that the way that you discovered this historic event that is known around the world but happened in your home country was through something that was a very, very similar strategy to what HRF uses. So the other part of your story that was so interesting to me was that later you went to Australia, and I think most people in your personal life thought that you were like a preschool teacher. So talk about that period of your life.、Um, so I actually started in a law school in China. Believe it or not, there are still law schools in China.、Um, and、uh, when I grow up, because my family history, my my great parents were actually like. The first group of filmmakers in China, and they all got persecuted during a campaign against intellectuals in 1957. So for me, you know, this is a family lesson. One is、um, don't be an artist; it's dangerous. Two is don't stay in China; it can be dangerous at any time. So I end up going to Australia, but it's not easy to be immigrant. You have to choose a major that allow you to stay. And in Australia, nobody wants to be a teacher, especially a preschool teacher, because it's very hard work. It pays very bad, but that gives me a chance to stay. So that's why I choose to be a preschool teacher. I started master's degree for education、um, and kind of doing this detour for four years until I have the green card and started making art. And so, talk about that period because you were not known as an artist at that time.、Yeah. You. Uh, there's an amazing documentary about Barrioso, and in the beginning, he is wearing a mask, and it's not the kind of mask we've been wearing in COVID.、Um, and you really were were hidden. And I think you know during this、uh, conference, we've been talking a lot about privacy, and you really like lived that lifestyle for a while. Tell tell、uh, the audience a little bit about that, why you were doing that.、Um, you know. Not like Banksy, you know, he is being anonymous for its、uh, like commercial trick. For 
artists who want to seeking the truth from China, that you have to hide yourself. Uh, because once your identity is revealed, then your family will be harassed, then personally you will be putting into the danger. And I learned this in 2018. So from the first cartoon that I did in 2011 to 2018, I remained anonymous. I would not, you know, having an event like this, if I have to do a public like a performance, I will have to wear a mask. Actually, I have a whole collection of masks that I weared. Uh, for these seven years, and it was turned into installation. Now exhibiting in Prague. Oh wow! Yeah, they're like full-on masks that cover his entire face. You can sort of see his glasses through them.、Um, but talk a little bit about the art that you started making. Like, what were the messages you were sending, and was your hope that people in China would see them, or like, what was your intention with that art? I think as an artist, it's something very important that we want to express things. I do not just believe art should only for the sake of art. Art is a form of language. It's because you want to communicate with the people outside of China and inside of China. But I guess the difficulty that being an artist in China is you have to dealing with the censorship, and this censorship is very hard going around, especially when your language is written language. Uh, because in China they have this huge internet、uh, censorship. It's called Great Firewall, and it's much based on words. So that they have a database that goes through every vocabulary, like Tiananmen Massacre, Nobel Peace Prize,、uh, or Badutao by artist name. They are all sensitive words. So if these words appear in any sentence, we're taking down、um, swiftly. However, I think art providing this very unique chance because every time we create a new image, we do not use the old language or vocabulary that we use in literature. So in that way, you know, the Chinese authorities have to find this artwork, recognize it, under, understand it, log it, then delete it. So regardless how you know efficient they will be, there will always be a window for me as an artist to talking about those issues. And among these years, another. I think silver bullet I find is if you manage to kind of bonding a very political censored image with something very popular and lovely like Winnie the Pooh. I don't know how many of you knows, but online there's a meme that compares Xi Jinping with Winnie the Pooh, and then the Chinese authority just freaked out. They're like, "Oh shit, we have to be serious. This this is the supreme leader, right? We have to take it down." But when they take it down, people ask questions because it's so common, because it's so loved, because it's so welcomed. And then every time you manage to do that, you create a catch twenty two for the authority, because if they do not take it down, then the joke goes on, the power being diminished. But if they take down, people ask questions, and whenever people are starting to ask questions, you create cracks in this authority. Yeah, and just a few other examples of some of the artworks. There was one、um, kind of showing how、uh, it was when Xi Jinping, I guess, became what was it, dictator for life, or, or what? It's probably not that phrase,、um, but that's you know what we would say. And he did three、uh, portraits, and one you know looks just like Xi Jinping does now, and then one is of him, you know, older, and then the last one is like a skull. And then I, what did the phrase say? Um, she forever, but actually I cheated because I used the face app. Oh, okay. To make it look older. <laughs> and then the、uh, another one was like talking about China's influence in Australia, and he showed the koala, you know, which is this symbol of Australia, 
with a painter painting it into a panda, which again, you know, is this kind of commentary on on the influence of China in Australia. So in general, it sounds like in your career, you know, there's this blend of elements. It's like criticism of China, but also like trying to get around the censorship regime in there to get your message out. Oh, by the way, actually, before we go on, let's just explain to people how you made the shift from wearing the mask to now revealing your identity. Yeah. What happened at that time? And then we'll, I'll go to my next question. Um, I think it's so hard to keep anonymous. I managed to do it for seven years, but um, in 2018, I supposed to have a very large exhibition in Hong Kong, and we were inviting like Joshua Wong and Pussy Rides to the opening. However, just three days before the show, my family in Shanghai got taken by the police to the police station, the National Security Police. So it means my identity got compromised at some stage. Um, and the message was sent to me via my family saying that I have to cancel the show. Otherwise, I will be in trouble. My family will be in trouble. So, well, they also say they are going to send in the police to, to Hong Kong in 2018. Now Hong Kong is a very different city because the whole national security law. But in 2018, Hong Kong still has its freedom and autonomy. It is kind of unsinkable that the Chinese authorities are saying they're going to send in police to Hong Kong. So that makes everyone freaks out. And the show was actually canceled in 2018. But then um, the question was thrown to me. You know, obviously I can choose to stopping making the art that I believe in. In exchange, maybe I can have some extent of safety. Um, you know, authority and dictatorship like that, they never forgive, they never forget. And also, if I'm giving up the art that I've been working on years and years, it's a betrayal to my own identity. Um, and I do value myself as an artist. But the bottom line for artists, I think, is the freedom of speech, is that I do not compromise because of some pressure. I do not draw red lines in the creation. So I decided to reveal my face uh, after half a year. And, and, and here I am now, you know, how I look like. So as I was saying earlier, you know, you see these themes of kind of trying to stick it to the regime in China, getting around the censorship, um, and also, um, you know, thinking about technology. Like, you know, I just love what you said about how the regime, the censorship regime is really built around the words. And so using images is such a powerful and, like, sneaky way to, uh, to get your word out. So um, at some point, obviously, you ended up turning to NFTs, and now you've done two collections as NFTs. How did you stumble upon NFTs? What problem did you think that solved for you? And you know, why did you decide to issue some art as NFTs? Well, firstly, you know, when I firstly hear about NFT, I think it's a great idea. I do not see it as a genre or style of art. For me, NFT is a form of ownership that kind of authorizes a possibility of original digital art. And for that, it really opens the door to all art and artists. Um, and however, I think now it really goes into a kind of weird and that when you think about NFT, it's not a diversified world. What do you think about it is those bought a pad and the boring collection just repeating itself. For me, it's problematic, but the original, the possibility of NFT that also rise 
the digital original version or limited edition is actually opening door to all artists and all kinds of arts. And also, I think with my collaboration with Human Rights Foundation and particularly with Gray Area, that give me a chance not just practice as an artist, but also knowing or exploiting this technology to extending my platform from just traditional social media, street art, gallery practice to a new community. And Nikki, can you tell us a little bit more about Great Area's role and helping him with the NFTs? And yeah, um, I met Baruchao, or gosh, over a year, like a year ago, and um, saw your work that was in the last year's Freedom Forum in Miami. It was a series of posters and what you see above, above me. And I had seen your doc and other work of yours, but I decided that that would probably be the best uh, set for us to launch as an NFT collection. And you and I had a lot of discussions about how that could be made interesting or activist, right? Because many people are using NFTs for you know, monetary gain. They're not, they're not thinking about them in a way that they're protest pieces. But what we decided to do was do a custom contract, which means that we wrote our own blockchain contract, where in which the participants who purchased an NFT, also the price was pretty inexpensive for them, they were allowed to write a message that was irrefutably written into the blockchain, a message of protest against the CPP. And so every single person who bought one of those NFTs, they minted them themselves, and that went into their crypto a wallet, and also an open sea, and those messages will live. So as in China, this is my favorite part about like what we did, is first of all, it was the first large mass protest action written into the blockchain, which is the tech the stack that runs uh, crypto and NFTs. But the cool thing is that um, if China doesn't like something you do, for example, there is somebody who made a fake Baudichau website that we, we try to take down, and other things, they do all kinds of stuff to discredit Baudichau all the time. But they cannot turn off his artwork, they cannot turn off uh, things that are listed into the blockchain, because the blockchain, as you guys, if you went to any of the talks before this, all those um, Bitcoin talks, they were discussing how it's a bunch of servers all over the world. It's a decentralized server network, so you can shut off all the servers in China like they did. They shut down all the, uh, the Bitcoin servers, but you can't shut off all the servers all over the world because they're everywhere. It's like playing whack-a-mole. And so what we did was make something that was pretty impossible just to stop and, and a message that can't be taken down. So I think that that was the power of what Baudichau did in having hundreds of people mint these NFTs and make protest messages against China. And just out of curiosity, do you remember any of the messages that people wrote? Yeah, there was, there was a lot. I mean, some of them were just saying solidarity to Baudichau, take down China. There was some that were like longer and kind of poetic. Um, and, and the weird, but the, the issue is that they're actually written into the code. So you have to kind of go into Etherscan and click decode, and then it will reveal the messages. Um, the... But the value of them is that they are written into the code. So they aren't. They, and also, like you were saying, they can't just scan them as language because of the way they're encoded. So it's, it's a really cool tech stack. And I love the idea of Baudichau using blockchain. Um, I know one of your mentors and folks you've worked with, uh, worked with before, who I think, did he win the Havel Prize? I wait, wait. He was here for something. Um, yeah. yeah, so he did a blockchain artwork protest piece. Pussy Riot also uh, did an NFT series. 
But nobody has done something like what Botticho just did. No one has done um, a protest message NFT collection, so it was a really exciting experience. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. In just a year and a half since launching on Mainnet, Avalanche has built a vibrant community of builders, leaders, and innovators, expanding what's possible in Web3. And the real superpower of Avalanche is in its groundbreaking scaling design, subnets. Subnets are the future of Web3 scaling, empowering anyone to build custom, app-specific blockchains optimized to fit the needs of any builder and user. Avalanche subnets are already seeing rapid adoption across DeFi and gaming applications, as builders have a clear path to scaling their project for user demand today, while future-proofing their infrastructure to support mainstream adoption. Experience Web3 like never before. Scale with subnets. Head to avox.network to learn more. And can you just talk a little bit about the artwork that you chose, like, you know, what these images represent? And um, Sure. Uh, probably in the very beginning of this year, the most discussed China-related topic is this uh, Winter Olympics is going to host in Beijing. A lot of us actually call it Genocide Olympics because it, it really a disgrace, a shame for the international community to allowing a country that have a genocide against Uyghur community ongoing and still have this chance to celebrate humanity. Um, so I decided to launch this kind of fake advertisement for the games using each of the sports, but discussing about different human rights issues in China, like the Uyghur genocide, the Hong Kong cracking down, the stuff of the Tibetans, um, the very censorship in the early stage of COVID-19, and uh, so I think this, this is the thing that the people should know. And also people should know it because the, it seems like it's inevitable. The, the Olympic will be on, but at least we should use this as a opportunity to discussing those works. And um, this is not just NFT. It was firstly released in Miami last year in the Freedom Forum. Then it has merged as street art. It has merged as uh, posters all over the world, um, a lot of major cities. And then the last step was also moving those works into the NFT world. And also the difficulty is it's very hard to exhibiting those works in a conventional venue. Um, I just had a show in Prague last week, it's opening, and the Chinese government just calling the museum as well as the foreign minister office of Czech Republic in order to kill the show. So this is the pressure that I'm facing in a conventional art venue. But obviously, in the digital world, on the blockchain, the gatekeeper is much lesser. I think the Chinese influence is much lesser. So in a way, that helped me to dodging all those censorship and easily creating a new community that introduced those very important message to new groups and peoples. And do you have a sense of how much your art actually gets through to China and whether or not when you use the NFTs, if that 
had any kind of material impact on how easily people were able to see the images? Well, I think it has two stages. Firstly, is we need to make sure it's still online, it's still accessible. And for traditional platform, yes, I can put it on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook,、uh, even on Google. But we all know all those companies more or less have a history of compromise.、Uh, Google has its Dragonfly project. Facebook, ah,、oh, come on, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg is running in a Tiananmen Square and pretending he really enjoys the bloody kind of air on that massacre site. So it's it's. It's not stable. It's, I do not think the traditional, even online space, would be that safe. But for me, I think the cryptocurrency world, the blockchain, are providing some mechanism much stronger and safer than those conventional venues. So there's one criticism of using NFTs in this way, which, for those of you who understand the technology, actually what it is is. Uh, kind of this indelible pointer, but it's to a file that is stored elsewhere on the internet. And so, you know, just like any other file on the internet, it could technically be taken down. How did you address that issue?、Um, well, one thing we did was it goes to something called IPFS,、um, and that is a file storage system. So the record of your NFT is pointing back to that. And actually, because Body Childlike is really interested in open access, you actually gave the files on Twitter for anyone to print. So people all have print quality files already all over the internet. They've been distributed, and people have printed them. So one of the things I actually did for record or, or、uh, holders and non-holders, anyone who joined our Discord, was create links to files and send multiple、um, links through, I think, Google Drive and other ways. For them to download, like multiple times, and so you know a lot of the protest activity that is going on, and just in general, like the crypto community and NFT community is going on through things like Signal, Discord, Telegram, Twitter.、Um, so we we are doing you know ad hoc and community organizing on the tech stack tools, and frankly, we're constantly jumping from tool to tool depending on what's safest. So、um, we we have a Discord, we、um, shared it through that. But also, the other thing to keep in mind is that even if we lose the pointer to the actual file in China, the、um, blockchain record with the protest、um, statements are not images, and they are in the blockchain, and they can't be deleted. And even if China wants to say, "Oh, I'm going to take down EtherScan," you guys remember, like, if you were anyone of any certain age, like how we used to have, like, we still have, but Pirate Bay and. Torrents and all that stuff, and there'd always just be a new pirate bay, pirate bay dot whatever. It's we could do the same thing, and the same thing does happen with EtherScan. So they'll just make a new website that points to the same files again and again and again and again. So、um, in a way, the, the the value, like I said again, of blockchain is that it's almost impossible to take down the actual servers holding the things, and then you can just keep making new domain pointers repeatedly from different locations. To the same information, just like we've seen with like torrents, you know.、Um, so I guess it, it matters, but it doesn't matter because it's so easy to distribute information using the technical tools we have today. Yeah, because EtherScan is basically just a website for looking at the Ethereum blockchain, which is indelible, and、um, it's sort of like you could sort of think of it as you could use like Firefox or Chrome to look at. Um, you know, some domain that you own, or, or even、mm-hmm. like the New York Times website or whatever.、Um, 
Um, so yeah, if either scan went down, no worries. Somebody else will create some other block explorer. Um, so you actually did a second campaign using NFTs. Can you talk about that and why you chose to do this? And it's slightly different. Um, the second drop was not that carefully planned because it's right start from uh, the Ukraine war, um, you know, by the Russian invaders. So once the news outbreaks, it's, it's, I guess it's really haunting everyone around the world, especially the people in Europe. And I started to making art alongside with the development of the invasion. And among the image, there are a lot of like online memes merged, uh, like this very famous sunflower seeds. I mean, the, the old lady like giving a, a handful of sunflower seeds to a Russian soldier said like, well, at least when you fall down here, there will be sunflower popping out. So a lot of those very interesting and powerful elements has merged and become my inspiration. And I created a, a body of new work that is dedicated to the fighters from Ukraine, as well as denouncing the, the support from the Chinese government to Putin's war. And now this work has been uh, released as NFT on the uh, Super Rare, as one-on-one -on -one works. And I going to donate all the profit from the selling to the people in Ukraine. I mean, because of the uh, NFT technology, because the existing platform, allow you to act this very fast. Um, imagine if you have to do an exhibition and then sell in an auction. It takes a long time. We did it in this uh, way. Like two weeks, one week. Yeah. We did it in one week. And we've already sold uh, thousands of dollars uh, in Ethereum. And we, I mean, we just sent one to, what was the group we just sent it to that we were talking on Signal? Right. Actually, Ukraine government have, yeah. uh, they posted um, their wallet to, to accepting cryptocurrency. Right on Twitter. Yeah. It's like, send us your money right here. But when we just worked with another aid group, we just, we just sent another uh, piece for auction from the collection and we did it in like a week and a half. Like that's unheard of in the art world, you know, and to make that kind of revenue directly going to aid someone. It's just, and it was just me and Bob just like texting back and forth. So it's pretty inspiring, you know? I love it. I love it. It's super interesting. And do you plan to work with NFTs more in the future? Um, definitely. I think, well, now I guess most of people are kind of worried the market is crashing. But I think the ones crashing are those boring monkey heads. It's kind of a good thing. I mean, yeah, well, this evolves. And then... In the end of the day, you should see what's really valuable and meaningful. I mean, buying NFT is almost like buying two things. One is you're buying a piece of art, an image. So firstly, you should understand the value of the art. Um, for me, I think political art and art about our time, particularly important. Because, of course, there are arts for the sake of art. There are art exploring the sensory beauty. But there are also a history of world art that is talking about the most important issue in the time. It is like a footnote that of our history. And because of a certain regime like China, they're deleting almost every existing footnote. And then the art becomes one of the voices can be lefted. So that is why political art particularly has its value. And secondly, for NFT. And because all the things that we discussed on the online censorship and everything, that makes political art very rare. And it makes it very hard to be purchased in conventional venues like galleries because the Chinese government could just call and cancel the show. 
And then it makes the NFT probably is the most valuable platform and way for polygons to uploading and make this into a collectible artwork. So I, I'm not here just to calling help to the political artists who are trying NFT. I'm also want to shouting to the people and the collectors that you need to learn about art. You need to learn about why political art will be important and valuable in the longer term. Yes, you should earn some money by flipping with the monkey heads, but you should also think about diversify your investment. Think about some blue ribbon stocks, which will be the political art. I mean, let's imagine after 20 years, you have to explain to your grandchildren that what you collect as NFT. Do you have to say that, oh, you know, Justin Bieber have that monkey hat, so that's very valuable and important. Then you have to go through the whole trouble to explain who Justin Bieber is. But imagine if you collect something that recording the changing time of our world, that recording the brutality of one of the most powerful countries like China, and foreseeing the change which is coming, then it will be much valuable and easy to explain to your grandchildren. So for the sake of the future, try to diversify your investment, not just monkey heads. Great. So we started uh, quite late. Does anybody have any questions? Uh, what if you're not a formal artist but enjoy doing art on the side and then decided to post an NFT? What's the rationale behind that? If there's a, a project you're working on, but don't have a platform, but just doing it for fun or just want to get started? I think platform is always a problem for not just political artists, for any emerging artist. And, and what NFT providing is a platform, a showcase as well, but also a possible way to help you financially. So why not try that? It's, I think the most important thing is, as artists, you should be faithful and truthful to your art. Do not just create art that can be sold on NFT platform. <laughs> Do your own art, put it on the NFT. That's how you be truthful as an artist, but that's also how you can help the NFT market to not just making the same standard work and, and make it an interesting um, and diversified world as any artwork outside of the digital space. But, but what if you're truthful to your art to see if it does well and then you replicate that still value? Uh, then you're a businessman, you're not an artist. Artists have to do new works. Yeah, that's, that's my understanding. The other thing I would say is, you know, if you do well, let's say you mint an NFT and you do well, one of the most important things about the NFT community of artists that I've been part of for a little while is that you support other artists. So using your voice, your platform, and your energy to you know tweet, retweet, repost, um, share the work of others, and buy their work. The hit, which was, um, I know this is like a very blockchain-heavy conference, but um, Tezos and Hick Eknuk, which is now defunct, but that community of artists on that chain, which by the way, it's like $2 to buy a Tezos, so it's much more affordable and a great entry point for new artists. They are all about, we're all about retweeting, buying, and um, there's a, a movement called Object for Object or um, Tezos for Tezos to like retweet, buy, and uh, share the work of others, and particularly diverse groups, women, people of color, queer people, 
you know, making sure that you're creating a space for the voices of not just the hegemony or whatever, the, the mainstream, like Bhattacharya was saying, the monkey heads, but actually, you know, diverse people and amplifying their voice, using your power to do that. So if you do suddenly get power, like use that power, you know, share, retweet Bhattacharya, everybody. Like it's all about collective action and NFTs are no different. Yeah, but just share the work you like. Don't share the work for their support. Um, so I'm really curious as we're making this movement from um, from NFTs as revenue for artists who are operating commercially into the realm of political artists who are raising money for causes, socially engaged artists who are raising money for communities they're working in. Um, what you've seen out there in the world and what you're thinking through this experience about revenue split models that can benefit artists who also need support while supporting communities that they are caring for, want to stand up for, um, and what you've seen out there. In so for me, because, you know, I am not an NFT artist. I can only talk through my little experience. As political artists, you know, the censorship does not just coming from uh, you do not have chance to exhibiting, but also the collector will have hesitated to buy a work because once the financial record reveal who they are, they will be revenged by the Chinese government. But NFT and blockchain was providing this possibility for buying things anonymously. At least it's very hard to tell or trace. So that definitely opening um, supporters. And in that way, it actually supporting uh, young artists like me. And for me personally, what I really want to achieve in the future is somehow um, establish this platform to encouraging emerging artists uh, like myself when five, ten years ago. Because when I started making political art, it's really no money and no support, no platform. And I, I only insist and continue this work because somehow, sometimes, someone helped me, give me a hand. So I do think it's, it's very necessary to actually establish this platform dedicated to political art, dedicated to the art that's serving the community and um, kind of branding them together as a way to support each other. All right, well, I think that's everything. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you to Bobby Channel. Have a great rest of your forum.